0: This is the Ready for the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Greg shoots from ReadyForTheDraft.com. Hard to believe it's already episode 9 of the Ready for the Draft 2020 podcast series, breaking down all the draft-eligible prospects for the 2020 draft, which will kick off in April in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, I'll tell you what, we always talk about narratives on this podcast. Narratives... You know, two years ago was about all the quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield, uh, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, and company all getting drafted in round number one. Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, the final two. uh, Five quarterbacks taken in round number one in the 2018 draft. 2019 was supposed to be all about the defense. And yet we were still talking about the quarterbacks. Kyler Murray going number one overall to the Arizona Cardinals. Number six overall, the surprise, Daniel Jones uh, from Duke going to the Giants. What's the narrative going to be this year? Well, there's a good chance that we're going to be talking about quarterbacks once again. The question is going to be there are a lot of young quarterbacks that are emerging right now. And a lot of quarterbacks, you know, teams that are set in who they have starting at quarterback. I think what we're going to see is some of the teams that have some of the older veterans bringing in some of these younger quarterbacks. If I'm the New Orleans Saints, I've got Drew Brees. Aging quarterback. There's Joe Burrow running a Joe Brady led offense. You know, he's the passing coordinator there for the LSU Tigers. He's brought in what New Orleans does throwing the football. And you see what Joe Burrow has been able to do. Did it again against Utah State, uh, you know, 27 to 38. 344 yards, five touchdowns, just one interception, also 42 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Joe Burrow is moving up draft boards. We now have four quarterbacks who could very very easily be taken in round number 1. Obviously, you have Tua Vailoa. And honestly, first quarterback taken, who's going to be the team that's going to be number 1 overall that's going to be looking for a quarterback? You know, and it was going to end up being the number one overall pick. It's just a matter of who's going to trade up to get him. Because if you're looking at Miami, they traded for Josh Rosen. If they're not sold on Rosen, do they go with another quarterback? I don't know that that's actually going to happen. Uh, Arizona's another team that could potentially be there. Uh, but they have Kyler Murray at quarterback. What about the Bengals? That's a team to keep an eye on. Zach Taylor sitting there with uh, Andy Dalton. Brought in Ryan Finley, but there's a good chance we could see Tua in a Bengal uniform next year. Then there's Tennessee, the Titans. Is Marcus Mariota going to be the answer? If the answer is no, they may be looking for a quarterback. Minnesota with Kirk Cousins, I know all the guaranteed money. They may bring in somebody to uh, to back him up. Then there's Philip Rivers, you know, another aging quarterback. You know, there's teams looking for depth. And you look at the quarterback position. Joe Burrow cemented himself as one of the top two or three prospects. I look at the way Joe Burrow is throwing the football around the yard. And he looks like he could step in and run that New Orleans Saints offense. Obviously, the game changes when you go to the NFL. Game's just a lot faster. Kyler Murray's already talked about it. You hear him talking about how, hey, the holes are still there. But they close up. Close up a lot faster. As soon as I get there, they're already gone. So the speed, obviously, is definitely going to be there. But Joe Burrow, to me, has definitely solidified himself as a first-round pick. And look, he's gaining on Justin Herbert. And I actually have him penciled in as my number two quarterback. Justin Herbert, in a slugfest against Cal... This past weekend, not the most eye popping stats. Twenty of thirty three, two hundred fourteen yards, touchdown, and uh, and an interception to his credit. And you know that was going to be a you know a, a, a fight against Cal's defense. You know there's not a whole lot of offense there for the Cal Bears right now, but Justin Wilcox has a, a top notch defense, and Justin Herbert, you know, he struggled at times, and it's one of those things to where. You know, I I think people are losing sight of what Justin Herbert is. I think I I look at Justin Herbert and I think of uh, Josh Allen. He doesn't have quite the arm strength that Josh Allen has, but he's a tremendous athlete, a guy who can move around the pocket. Uh, You know, he flirts right around that 50%, uh, I'm sorry, 60% passing, uh, which is a little bit of a concern at times. You know, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, you know, I talk about how if you can't complete 60% of your passes at the collegiate level, what makes you think that you can complete 60% of your passes in the NFL? It just doesn't happen. It doesn't translate. So last year, Justin Herbert, 59.4% completion percentage by far his worst uh, output. But you look at what he's done so far this year. I think that's the thing that's, that's really people aren't seeing a whole lot of. Yes. The stats are a little bit down at times. In some of the games, but 71.6% passer over 1300 yards, 15 touchdowns, just one interception. And when you think about that from a, a production standpoint, he, he's making all the right reads. He's making the right throws, uh, putting the ball where only his receiver is able to make a play. And, and that's really what you want to see out of a quarterback that you're looking to take in the first round. And, and so I, I think Justin Herbert has definitely solidified himself. But look, you know he, he's going to have to show that he's clearly the better option over a guy like Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, we can already see him in an NFL offense. This is all, almost a, a job interview for Joe Burrow. Justin, you know, there's obviously there's going to be a learning curve going to the NFL, but can you see Justin Herbert running an NFL style offense? You know, when you look at a guy like Josh Allen, here's where the comparison, you look at it, and Josh Allen, yes, I know, Mountain West Conference, Wyoming receivers. You know, in 2017, he didn't have uh, a lot of top notch receivers around him. The year before, though, had quite a few NFL players on that team. Had you know Jacob Hollister at tight end, Taylor Gentry. You know flirted with the Bears for a little while. Brian Hill at running back had some talent there as a sophomore. Only completed fifty six percent of his passes. Went over thirty uh, two hundred yards. Bunch of interceptions as a sophomore. As a junior, sixteen touchdowns, six interceptions. Just over eighteen hundred yards passing. Fifty six point three percent completion percentage. Uh, when you look at Justin Herbert already what jumps out to you, better decision-making. And I I think that's something that people are kind of losing sight of. But I I mentioned at the beginning that Joe Burrow is really emerging 78.4% completion percentage. I mean, are you kidding me? From a a pass efficiency standpoint, this offense was tailor-made for him. Over 1,800 yards passing, 1,864 to be exact, the nation's number two passer and he's only trailing Anthony Gordon, you know, Mike Leach led offense, Washington State, by uh, less than, than 300 yards, uh, 282 to be exact. So Joe Burrow right on his heels as the the nation's top passer in terms of yardage, 22 touchdowns, just three interceptions. Joe Burrow is legit, you know. So we're, we're talking about stats, and obviously I know stats aren't gonna you know be the end all be all when you're talking about a quarterback. Uh, but but let's just take a look at, at Tua. In and, and these stats, you want to talk about translating. You know, through five games, he's a seventy six point four percent passer, over seventeen hundred yards passing. So where does that rank Tua on the list? You know, that's number four. And the thing with Tua is, he's got the dynamic trio, really a quartet of receivers. If you throw in Jalen Waddle to go along with Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs the third and Devonte Smith. But they're not just screens, they're not just slants or or drag routes. He's throwing the football down the field with tremendous accuracy. 23 touchdowns, 0 goose egg nada 0 interceptions. Think about that. You know, through 5 games, you know, th- this guy hasn't thrown a pick. You know, through Eight in his first two seasons, you know, six a, a season ago, he still hasn't thrown a pick. Now, granted, he's going into more of the meat of his schedule. Hasn't really been truly tested by a top defense, and that O line, you know, that O line is going to be tested. You, know, you look at Alex Leatherwood. We'll talk about him here in a minute, proving himself as as a left tackle. Interior of that line had to be replaced for the most part, so you know there's some question marks there. Uh, Jedrick Wills uh, at, at right tackle is a guy who's emerging as a pro prospect. So I, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen with Tua once he, he plays some some tougher defenses there in the SEC. That's really what I want to see. So you have Tua, you have Burrow, you have Justin Herbert. Who are we leaving out? Georgia fans know exactly who we're leaving out, and that's Jake Fromm. Now Jake Fromm, unlike the other guys that we've mentioned, not a a huge arm, not a guy who is tremendously athletic, um, but the intangibles are second to none. This is a guy who is in complete control of that Georgia offense, knows exactly where to go with the football, reads the defense, makes the checks that he needs to, and you know it, if he's during the play, he's making, you know, going through the progressions, making the right calls, taking what the defense gives him,, um, you know, from himself, seventy seven point five percent passing, you know just over a thousand yards, you know, but again, with, with Georgia's offense, they're not asked to throw the ball a ton. Uh, eight touchdowns, zero interceptions. And again, you know, you can say game manager all you want, um, but the efficiency absolutely there. In, in a 43-14 drubbing of, uh, of Tennessee, 24-29, 288 yards, two touchdowns. I'll take that all day long. The poise in the pocket, the, the subtlety with the way that he's able to avoid the rush is impressive. You watch him in the pocket. He he does a great job really manipulating slides, you know, the subtle slides in the pocket, keeping his eyes down the field, keeping those shoulders square to his target, and the way that he's able to manipulate the defense as well. Keeping those eyes, holding the safety before he comes off that and and hits that receiver. is very impressive. They're breaking in quite a few uh, new receivers, young receivers, Dominic Blaylock. George Pickens and company. And you see him developing the rapport with these talented young receivers. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of quarterbacks really struggled with, including Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert with Dylan Mitchell a season ago struggled at times with trying to develop some rapport with other receivers because Dylan Mitchell went down to injury. Jake Fromm having no issues with that. He's got six, seven, eight receivers at his disposal, and he's spreading the football around. You know, Granted, he's also playing behind a pretty stout offensive line led by Andrew Thomas, the top offensive tackle in this year's draft, in my opinion. But those are your top four quarterbacks. And, and you look at the numbers, they're just eye-popping in terms of what they're doing out on the field right now. Who are the quarterbacks behind them? That's really the big question. Coming into the season, Jordan Love, you know, the 6'4", 225-pounder out of Utah State, was hyped up as a potential top-ten pick. And I think there's still a chance that Jordan Love can be a top-ten pick. I just don't know that it's going to be in 2020. I think it may be in 2021. A season ago, 64% passer, over 3,500 yards, 32 touchdowns, six interceptions for the Aggies. This season through five games, uh, taking a little bit of a dip in terms of his completion percentage, 62.5%, over 1,300 yards, six touchdowns, eight interceptions. That's really the part that's going to make you a little bit more nervous. He's playing some, some tougher competition against LSU, really struggled, just 50% completion, 15 of 30, 130 yards, three interceptions. Granted, Utah State was overmatched, 42 to 6, never really you know stood much of a chance coming out of the gate, but that was his chance on a big stage against an SEC opponent to really emerge as a potential first-round pick in 2020. Utah State again they don't have the manpower to deal with a team like LSU when you have uh, that that talent especially you know guys like you know Chase on uh, and Jacob Phillips and on the outside Christian Fulton Grant Delpit and, and of course the the young guy Stingley out there you know on, on the the cornerback position tremendous freshman you're gonna have you. You're probably gonna struggle, and, and that's exactly what Jordan Love did. I, I think Jordan Love is one of those guys that's gonna come back for his senior season. Now, there's a, a group of four quarterbacks sitting behind Jake Fromm that I think ultimately will come back for one more season. Jacob Eason of Washington is another one. 6'6", 227-pound junior out of Washington. Jake Fromm was the reason why he ultimately transferred to Washington. Ended up having an injury, knee injury that bounced him out of the 2017 season in the opener. Jacob Eason from Washington. I think he played high school about 34 miles away from the campus ultimately transferred, and this is his first year as a starter. And when you watch Jacob Eason play, I think the biggest thing that you see is the arm strength. The arm talent is absolutely there. He's a big, strong-arm kid, a guy who can make all the throws. But consistency is is a concern. You know, it, you, if you just look at the numbers, 65.7% completion percentage, over 1,400 yards, 11 touchdowns, just three interceptions. But like in the game this past weekend against Stanford, a game that they lost 23-13. He started the game 5-5 five of five on the opening drive. Finished the game. 16 to 36, 206 yards, a touchdown, and an interception on the day. You know, one of the things that you would see is he really struggled at times to take some something off his throw. Everything was a fastball. There was a four yard out to Hunter Bryant, who I'm telling you just looks like a giant wide receiver out there on on the perimeter. This was in the red zone. Throwing to the near side, into the boundary. Gunned it in there, and the ball was thrown so hard, and it got off on Hunter Bryant so quickly that he didn't really have much of a chance to get his hands up in time to catch this football. So I, I think the ball placement is there. He can definitely throw the ball a mile pretty good job on his back shoulder throws but the he's got to take something off of his throws i think that's what he has to do i think he held on to the ball way too long at times casey Tuhill and company really getting to him and you know granted he he did experience some drops aaron fuller a lot of people see aaron fuller as a top 10 wideout i think with all of the trouble holding on to the football with washington receivers Fuller included, I I think he's not a a top 10 wideout. But Jacob Eason, another year under his belt with Chris Peterson, and I think that makes him a a viable candidate as a first-round pick. I just don't see it happening this year, especially with the way that Tua, Burrow, Herbert, and Fromm are playing. K.J. Costello. The 6'5, 225 pound junior out of Stanford. He's been battling injuries. And that's, I think, ultimately what's going to keep him from any consideration for this year's draft. Uh, KJ Costello, I think he really wanted to build upon last season. You know, he was a 65% completion percentage, uh, over 3,500 yards, 29 touchdowns, needed to cut down on the 11 interceptions through three games. You know, just a 56% completion percentage. Um, two touchdowns, two interceptions. And an injury to, the, to his thumb on his throwing hand has really been causing problems for him. And so you have to kind of take those stats with a grain of salt. It's kind of like Brian Lewerke from a season ago. Uh, the shoulder injury really hampered him and really limited his effectiveness as a quarterback. So KJ Costello... To me, I, I think he's got to get healthy. You know, they've got Davis Mills, who led the the, the Cardinal to victory. Really, it was more of a smash mouth. You know, and, and if you want to beat a Jimmy Lake team, there was kind of the blueprint. They took the ball away. They held the ball for a long time, and Cameron Scarlett ran for over 150 yards and a touchdown, and that's ultimately what helped beat them. Jimmy Lake's defense the week before against USC, was dominant. They were daring USC to run the football. And the secondary, you know, playing uh, two high safeties and really just, you know, the middle was open. But they were really baiting a young USC quarterback in Matt Fink Stanford had a different game plan. you A know, big reason why you know, they were actually able to get the job done, though, was KJ Costello was out, so they changed things up a little bit from what they normally do with, with KJ in the game. Costello is going to have some weapons next year. Connor Weddington... Michael Wilson at receiver, Simi Fahoko, the, the big 6'4 receiver, he's emerging as as a top target. And then there, there's Cody Par- uh, Colby Parkinson. Colby Parkinson is going to be a top four, top five tight end in this year's draft. I think he can work on some of his blocking because he's 6'7", 250 pounds, an incredible catch radius, runs excellent routes. But I think the blocking, you know, Stanford tight ends are known for their blocking. You just want to see him become a little bit more complete with his game to really establish himself as possibly the top tight end. So there may be a chance that Colby Parkinson comes back to play with his quarterback one more season. So there's one quarterback that I left out on purpose. I know, shame on me, but Sam Ellinger. And the reason why I left him out, he's taken on OU. He's taken on Jalen Hurts. He's played very well against OU in the three previous outings. Ellinger throwing over 900 yards in those three games. And the thing with with Ellinger is I think he just continues to get better and better. I think one of the things that stood out for me as a freshman, just the the grittiness, possibly you know potentially leading Texas to a win over USC. Uh, you know, as a sophomore continued to build on that. You know, became you know started completing over sixty percent of his passes. Uh, you know, threw for over thirty-two hundred yards. Cut down on the interceptions. Twenty-five touchdowns to just five interceptions. And so far through five games, just continuing to get better again. Sixty-nine point four percent completion percentage. Over fourteen hundred yards passing. Seventeen touchdowns. Just two interceptions. And this is a kid. He doesn't have his number one wideout in Colin Johnson. Although Johnson may be back for OU, the Red River rivalry. I'll try to say that three times fast. But he also has Devin Duvernay, and I'll tell you what, you know, Duvernay has benefited from Colin Johnson being out because he's been able to showcase what he can do, and he has a chance to be a third-round pick. When it's all said and done, you know. Then there's Brennan Eagles, and. You know, they're down at the running back position. I think Keontae Ingram is showing what he can do. The interior of that line was what I wanted to really watch. Zach Shackelford, he gets in trouble when, when that pad level gets a little too high. Parker Braun, he came over from Georgia Tech, and he's one of my favorite guards to watch, one of the, my favorite interior linemen, period, to watch. This guy plays with a mean streak. He gets out, he's going to bury you, he's going to pummel you, he's going to maul you to death. And uh, I think he has a chance to be a day-two pick. And then there's Samuel Cosme, the left tackle. Who would have thought that this guy had that type of athleticism He was carrying the the football uh, at one point. So effortless with his kick slide, very quick feet. He's going to be a tackle on the rise for next year's draft. Keep an eye out for him. I think he'll be battling the likes of Walker Little. Uh, and Panay Sewell for the top tackle position when it's all said and done. But back to Sam Ellinger, you know, the gritty, gaming performer, um, you know, a guy who's just so tough, you know, tough as nails, you know, very quick with with the ball in his hands. You know, he's already rushed for uh, over 1,000 yards in his career, 21 touchdowns to his credit, including 16 from a season ago. The ball placement is getting better. The decision making is getting better, quicker. Going through his progressions, I just don't think he's there yet. Could he potentially be the fifth quarterback taken in round number one? I just don't see it. But Sam Ellinger comes back for one more year with an you know a young receiving core that's getting better, an offensive line that is is improving. They could have something there. Tom Herman is definitely building a contender in Austin. So I think Sam Ellinger it would behoove him to come back for one more year. Because really what you're talking about is I've, ne- I've listed those four quarterbacks. And you got a guy by the name of Justin Fields out of you know, Ohio State putting a Heisman performance together for the ages there at Ohio State. And he's only a sophomore, so there's a good chance you'll see Justin Fields coming out at the end of next season. So draft class next year is strong, but the thing is, is Love, Ellinger, Eason, and Costello could any of them come back? You know, come out in this year's draft? Sure. But the ceiling, I think, for them in 2020 is going to be day two. uh, early second round for any of those guys. So I think come back for one more year, really polish things, get things together, and uh, put up some numbers like with Tua and and Burrow and and Herbert and Fromm, that foursome. If you can put up numbers like that, then we're talking. There's another junior that I actually have in my, my top 10, Goes by the name of Jamie Newman out of Wake Forest. 6'4", 230 pounds. Not many people know about this guy. And he's quietly putting together a very impressive season for the undefeated Demon Deacons. He's got a couple of receivers as well. Sage Surratt, redshirt sophomore. He's a guy to watch. And then Scotty uh, Washington on the other side has some troubles with the drops. But you know Jamie Newman is a guy who's he's a big physical quarterback, uh, completing nearly 70% of his passes, over 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns, just three interceptions. Also carried the ball so far, 262 yards on the ground, three touchdowns. He's the best quarterback nobody's talking about. I have him in my top 10 right below Love, Ellinger, and Eason. took Costello out of my top 10 just because that thumb, I just don't see him coming, coming out. And Sam Ellinger, look, you've seen the stories on all of the different newscasts whenever you watch or broadcast, whenever you watch Sam Ellinger play. He loves, he lives for for Texas football. He loves Texas football. He's born to be a Texas quarterback. I think he's going to maximize his time there and come back for one more year. So Jamie Newman could be the beneficiary of some of these quarterbacks coming back and decide, you know what? I could be an early day two pick and enter the draft, or he could be another guy to add into that mix. You know, there are a lot of young junior quarterbacks who could decide to stay and really make the 2021 draft an interesting uh, group of quarterbacks. So what does that, where does that leave us in terms of that quarterback position if you take out that quintet of juniors? Well, Nate Stanley of Iowa was hoping for a big season. You know, I, I think one of the things with Stanley that is no secret is the streakiness with his deep ball accuracy. That's one of the things that he struggles with. He's a fifty fifty eight percent completion per, uh, career passer. 60 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. Um, but if you watch the game against Michigan, the 10-3 finale. Um you know, you, you look at it, 23 of 42, 260 yards, three touchdowns. One of the things that you saw, he he stared down his receivers. That was one of the things that you definitely saw. The deep ball accuracy was shaky. Decent ball placement to the outside. Um, I think he did a good job. You know, sliding to his left, extending the play, keeping his eyes down the field. But it's the consistency. You know, don't hold on to the ball for so long that you're going to take a sack. Make the right read. Get rid of the ball quickly. If you're going through your progression, don't stare down a receiver. You'll Go through those progressions. Don't stay on, locked on to one receiver the entire time. To me, Nate Stanley and his draft stock has been dropping steadily. Now, this was a guy who many, including myself, thought he had a chance to solidify himself as a day two pick. Now I think there's a chance that he could end up being a late day three you know, possibly you know there's so many quarterbacks that you question whether or not they're gonna get drafted and they end up getting drafted late um, or he could be a priority free agent I think because of his size because of the arm strength you know there's some tools to work with 6'4 245 pounder um you know but I, I, I look at his his completion percentage this year it's just a shade under 62 percent he's gonna be going into the you know really the meat of the big twelve or big ten conference play, he's going to more than likely end up under 60% for the year. And if you're completing under 60% of your passes in your career and don't have an entire year where you've completed at least 60% of your passes under your belt, I think your ceiling is probably mid to late day three. Then there's Shea Patterson. Now, Shea Patterson in that game you know 306 uh let's see no I'm sorry 136 attempts with that interception going into that game um before throwing a pick he was just 14 of 26 147 yards and that interception um you know he's he's a gunslinger he's a guy who's going to kind of sling the ball around um doesn't always set his feet you know the mechanics at times because you know the way that he he plays. Uh, you want to see him set his feet, really let it rip, and when he does that, he's tremendously accurate. The problem is the Shea Patterson has not been over, um, you know, overly consistent with his footwork. With um, you know when he escapes the pocket, is he squaring his shoulders to his target? Um, so far this year, um, you know, off to his his. his Worst output in terms of completion percentage since his freshman year at at Ole Miss, 58.3% passer, just over a thousand yards, six touchdowns, three interceptions. His offensive line has been taking a beating as well. Uh, John Runyon has just kind of had you know big swinging gate there at left tackle. Uh, you know he's been. He he's been struggling, really showing that he's gonna be, if he wants to be considered at the NFL level, he's gonna to have to kick inside to guard. Uh, Jalen Mayfield, the young right tackle, also getting abused at times. Uh, ben Bredesen, you know, who's been at the top of my guard list for quite some time. Um, you know, he, he he can get nasty you know, and seal off defenders. Um, you know, very you know under control. You know, climbing to the second level does a really good job at that. And uh, he's the one guy who's been pretty consistent up front, but one guy you know isn't going to make or you know isn't really going to make things for you, and, and that's one of the things that Shea Patterson running for his life and not always setting his feet you know and throwing he can't be a Patrick Mahomes who can throw from any angle on the move whether it's back backpedaling rolling to his left his right running forward uh, Shea Patterson can't do that so playing behind uh, an inconsistent offensive line, you're going to get some inconsistent play out of him. And and so I think Shea Patterson, you know, another day three pick, not really the guy who is emerging, but there is a guy in the big 10 and I was critical of him a season ago, but it was mostly, you know, really his play was hampered by the shoulder injury that he was dealing with. Uh, Brian Lewerke uh, of Michigan State, 6'3", 216 pounds. You know, this is another guy. You know, the biggest thing is is that completion percentage, fifty seven point one percent completion percentage to his you know to his name. Um, you know, he's a fifty eight point five percent passer this year. Um, I think what was encouraging watching him play against Ohio State though was his ability to read the defense, and take what they were giving him. You know, This was one of the things to where he did a really good job, especially um, moving the launch point. He'd roll out, do a really good job of, of setting his feet and firing at the target. He was picking really on the middle of the field, uh, that tight end position, do a really good job of looking off the safety, or on a play action, make sure that the safety's biting and coming up, then throw over the top and hit the t- hit the tight end over the middle. You'd also see him uh you know pick on Baron Browning a little bit, throwing over him and in front of the safety in front of Jordan Fuller, hitting the tight end. And his tight ends were really his favorite targets. That and and Daryl Stewart. Uh, and, and Daryl Stewart Jr. Is, is a receiver. He's a 6'2, 215-pounder. Um, You know, very emotional player, a guy who was really trying to get his team fired up. And I thought for the most part, it it worked. Um, Six receptions, 68 yards and a a touchdown for Stewart. Um, Very athletic, a guy who was really running a lot of the the crossing routes uh, very well, using his bigger body uh, to shield the ball from defenders. A reception in 30 straight games, a very reliable target. Um, he's a guy who I think is going to be a, a mid-round pick and and make a roster and be a, a pretty productive player at the next level. Now, you know Lawrky again has to work on the on the completion percentages. Um, you know his offensive line; it's kind of been a makeshift line for him the last couple of years, uh, moving guys around. Tyler Higby's really a guard; he's playing at left tackle. Got abused at times by. Ah, uh, Chase Young and company, uh, Lawrky twenty of thirty eight, two hundred eighteen yards, touchdown and an interception. But when he was moving, when he was moving the ball, when they were really getting things going, um, Lawrky, you know, you, you saw something out of him. You know, you saw him being able to to survey the field, to read defenses, uh, and take what the defense was giving him. Will that completion percentage hinder him? That uh, there's a good chance of that. I think you know his ceiling is also probably going to be, uh, you know, mid to late day three, which takes us to Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, you know, at a, you know, the Alabama transfer there at OU. All you can say, or all you can really say about Jalen Hurts is he's having a Heisman-like performance there in Lincoln Riley's offense. Makes you wonder: is it the offense? Is it the quarterback? Is it a little bit of both? You know, when you you talk about Jalen Hurts, and you were saying, you know, it, it's it's got to be, you know, Alabama's offense. It's got to be the the old line. It's got to be the talent there. You know, this is a guy in in his three years at Alabama, just under sixty three percent completion percentage, forty eight touchdowns, just twelve interceptions. Um, in his last two seasons, just threw three picks, including seventeen touchdowns to one interception in, in twenty seventeen. But it was one of those things when you looked at Jalen Hurts you never thought of him as a pocket passer. You never really looked at him and said, this is a guy who could." his game could translate to the next level. He missed reads, didn't always know where to go with the football at times. But look, as a junior, he emerged. Tua vailoa goes down to injury. He leads the team back to the win over Georgia in the SEC championship game. Transfers to OU as a grad transfer. Comes in really business-like a, a, a approach. And he's been phenomenal. You know, completing over seventy five percent of his passes, over fifteen hundred yards, passing fourteen touchdowns, just two interceptions. One of the interceptions was this week, this past weekend against Kansas. Didn't leave, uh, lead his receiver. Ultimately, got got himself picked in the game. But look, you know, this is a guy. You know, his freshman year, nine hundred fifty four yards and thirteen touchdowns. Look more like a tailback than he did a quarterback. And you know, this year, you know, just under 500 yards passing, 8.8 yards per carry, seven touchdowns already on the year. Uh, so he he's on pace to rush for over a thousand yards, much like Kyler Murray did a season ago. And they you know OU hasn't been challenged yet. They're going to get challenged this weekend against Texas. You really want to see what he can do. You now he's been hitting a lot of you know wide open receivers, but you see him pushing the football down the field with accuracy, able to hit. Uh, you know Charleston uh, Rambo and you know CD lamb in stride really knowing what to, what to do with the football um some post play there was a post pass to the freshman Jaden Hazelwood um, and, and really dropped the ball in a bucket I mean it was just excellent timing threw his receiver open just put it right out in front of him uh, that's really what you want to see that development um, you know with, with Jalen Hurts. you know and not just not just the big plays. You know, there was a play, it was a second down, second and ten, spun away from pressure, squared his shoulders to his target, hit his fullback uh, slash H-back, Emmanuel Hall, for an 11-yard gain. You know, just being in, You know, calm, cool, collected. Hey, you know what, I'm rolling away from pressure. I know exactly where to go with the football. I hit my wide open H-back. Who gets a first down on, on second and second and ten. So I think you're seeing the development. I think Lincoln Riley has a big part in that. There's some wide open receivers. He's got, you know, CeeDee Lamb running free. He's got Charleston Rambo running free. But, you know, the development is there. And the more you watch Jalen Hurts play, the more you look at it and say, you know what, there are some tools there. Is he, you know, the, the Lamar Jackson comparison, I've heard people say he's not on that level yet. You know, but I think it's one of those things I talked about Dak Prescott and I said Dak Prescott in his junior season was a, a an ath- you know, a good athlete who was playing quarterback. Transition to his senior season, he, he really established himself as a good quarterback who just happened to be a great athlete. And I think that's one of the things that Jalen Hurts is, is slowly making that, that that transition. Is he going to be a day two pick? Because, and the reason why I'm I'm laying a lot of these quarterbacks out is Jalen Hurts has a chance to make, uh, make it on, on day two of the NFL draft. He can end up in the second or third round uh, just with, with the way that he's been playing. He's got to continue to show that he can make the right reads, that he can put the ball where his receivers can make a play. Um, and if he can do that, He's got a great chance at being a day-two pick, especially when you're looking at this quarterback class, like I said. Rounding things out, I've got Steven Montez, uh, 6'5", 235-pounder out of Colorado. Colorado, I believe, is taking on Oregon tomorrow uh, because we're recording on on Thursday, uh, October 10th. So you get to see what... Montez can do against the Oregon Ducks, against uh, Troy Dye and company. Um, you know, this is a guy who's having his best year with the Buffs 67% completion percentage, over 1,400 yards, 10 touchdowns, just two interceptions on the year. He's kind of the forgotten man in the Pac 12. Everyone's talking about everybody else. They're talking about Justin Herbert. They're talking about uh, KJ Costello, what is Ke- Ke- uh, Keaton Slovis doing there at USC? Khalil Tate, what's going on with him? There's a freshman at, at Arizona State uh, that, that's playing well. Um, you know, what's going on at UCLA and, and what's going wrong there? Chase Garbers is getting some recognition at Cal. All Stephen Montez is doing is continuing to, to play well and, and put up the right numbers there for uh, Mel Tucker in his first year with the buffs. Uh, You know, and and I think, you know, the three and two record, that's one of the things that's really kind of taken the hit for them is, is the, that, that, that record, you know, and, and with, with Colorado, they, they took the loss to, to Air Force, uh, you know, 30 to 23. And then they also lost uh, this past week to Arizona, uh, 35, 30. That, those that that loss definitely stings a little bit there for the Buffs. You know, if the Buffs want to be taken seriously in the Pac-12, uh, you know they they're going to have to rebound from that. But uh, in that game, Stephen Montez, twenty-eight of forty-two, two hundred ninety-nine yards and a touchdown, no interceptions, pretty solid day all around. You know, in in a losing effort. You know, and. Uh, you know, he was playing without his top receiver Lavisca Chenault did not play in that game. Um, you know Tony Brown was his leading receiver, uh, Katie Nixon, but you know again, you know if Lavisca Chenault is not on the field for the Buffs, that makes changes things, changes the game plan just a little bit there for Colorado. But uh, I think Stephen Montez has some stool, some tools to work with. Definitely athletic a guy who can can manipulate the pocket can get outside and uh, has a really good arm throwing the football down the field. so some of the things that I saw this past week you know we've talked about the quarterbacks and, and what to expect I've already talked about some of the quarterback play that I that I watched um, but some of the other things that I saw uh, and and you know guys that are making moves either in the right direction or or the wrong direction how about quiddy pay? Out of out of Michigan. 6'4, 277 pound junior, two and a half sacks to his credit. Even took out uh Tristan Wirfs, you know, beat him out of his stance. Um, you know, showed a, a good rip move, you know, pressuring uh, the quarterback, getting him out of the pocket. Um, you know, he was just showing a, a really good burst off the ball, and that rip move. Uh, Tristan Wirfs, when he was in the game, struggled to, to deal with that at times. Um, you know, I, I think that was more so in the in the first quarter. You know, part of the second. Once Tristan Wirfs moved over to the right side, um, you know, when he faced Quitty Pay, he just seems to be more comfortable on the right side. Um, you know, Tristan Wirfs does, but quitty Pay was just a nightmare. Alaric Jackson doesn't look to be all the way back. I think he has to come back for one more year uh, after the injury. He just looks a step slow. So, I, I don't see Alaric Jackson um, moving. But, you know, Quiddy Pay, with the way that he, he played against Iowa, if he continues to rack up the sacks, continues to show that explosiveness off the edge, he has a chance to be one of those edge rushers that we're talking about on draft day. Tristan Wirfs, look, overall, yeah, he, he did struggle at times with, with Quiddy Pay, but, you know, he overset a couple of times. But the power is absolutely there. He has good footwork for for a guy his size. you know six five, three hundred and twenty two pounds. Could he kick inside to guard like Brandon Sheriff did? Sure. um you know but you know he's not as physical in the running game as Brandon Sheriff. I think Werfs is gonna still be a first round pick, but um he'll probably probably be in the twenty twenty five probably in that range, I would guess. Uh, A.J. Epinesa is another guy, 6'6", 280 pounds. This was the guy who led the Big Ten, didn't even start for the Hawkeyes. Shows a a decent burst off the ball, but he's so stiff turning the corner. You know, stiff in his hips, and, you know, he's got excellent power in his hands. You know, I think he's still going to end up being a first-round pick. Got Finally got his first sack of the year. This is a guy who... um, Again, he was on a line with, with Anthony Nelson and, and Parker Hesse. Now he's the guy. He's seen a lot of double teams and uh, he's been struggling, you know, at times. You know, he has taken his man into the quarterback, collapsing the pocket off the edge, but you're waiting for him to really have a breakout game and you just haven't seen it. And that's one of the things that I think is frustrating uh, watching uh, watching him play, especially after you see him uh, a season ago just dominating guys at the point of attack. Watch Oklahoma State and Texas, you know, 45-35 winners. Uh, I'm sorry, Texas Tech, not Texas, Texas Tech, the The Red Raiders bouncing back after their lost OU. Jordan Brooks, moved him into my top 10 inside linebacker. He's a guy who can play inside or outside at the linebacker position. Uh, really good instincts. You know, this is a guy who... Um, you know, plays well against the run. Showed really good contain against the quarterback. Forced him back inside. Um, got a sack on the. You know, basically got out to the perimeter. Forced him back inside. They dropped him for a sack. Uh, excellent tackler of uh, um, of of Chuba Hubbard, Hubbard in the open field. Um, you know, this is a guy who shoots through the a gap very well on a sack. Gets a forced fumble. Um, really changed the landscape of the game. You know, he's out there chasing down Spencer Sanders. You know, very athletic. You know, guy gets to the outside, able to drop him for a loss. Very athletic player there. You know, 6'1", 245. And you're looking for the new age linebacker. Who is a guy who can be a three-down linebacker? And I think Jordan Brooks is proving to be able to do that. Um, You know, Chuba Hubbard, um, look, another great game for him. You know, carrying the football. Um, just an explosive back, you know, 34 carries, 156 yards, three touchdowns on the game. Chuba Hubbard, to me, he, he's continuing to gain momentum and move up draft boards. You know, the speed is absolutely there. That's something that jumps off uh, off the game film. And uh, I think Chuba Hubbard, you know, I've got him penciled in right now as my number five running back uh, behind Jordan, uh, Jonathan Taylor of, of Wisconsin. Who right now is one of the top two or three guys in the Heisman uh, voting right now. DeAndre Swift, who may be the most versatile of the running backs. Travis Etienne, who is explosive. Uh, and then J.K. Dobbins is the other guy who has been impressive. You know, may not be the best athlete of the group, but a guy who I, I think he sees the field very well and he he runs hard, runs behind his pads, and, and he's one of those guys. He he has excellent vision, sees the hole hits the hole and then has pretty decent acceleration uh getting into the second second level in a hurry um you know I, getting to watch OU take on Kansas um Creed Humphrey to me you know just stoning guys uh there in the middle I think he he de- legitimately looks like a first round pick um CD Lamb um he's a guy who you know showed that he could can be a, a, a dynamic punt returner He's an excellent blocker on the outside, um, you know, very physical as a blocker, uh, scored yet another touchdown. He scored a touchdown in every single game so far this year. Um, but Hakeem Adeneje for, for the Jayhawks, 6'5", 300-pound left tackle, very light on his feet, knee bender, sits down in pass protection, uh, blocked down on John um, John Michael Terry, the, the, the outli- uh, outside linebacker, just didn't sustain the block and ultimately the linebacker was able to make a play on the running back. Um, you know, I thought it was one of those things, you know, he struggled to, you know, with, with some of the the uh, double moves. He, he did a really good job, you know, very stout, you know, with, with uh, Jalen Redmond on a play, but uh, he was kind of slow to reset, and ultimately uh, Redmond beat him on an inside move. And so that's one of the things, you know, when he gets underneath the pad level, able to get a good kick-out block. But uh, sustaining the blocks was really the the issue. But he has very fluid, very easy hips. He's a guy, to me, that I think is going to continue to develop and a guy who's going to continue to move up draft boards. And then how about Neville Gallimore out of o- OU, 6'2", 302-pound senior Excellent burst. You know, I think that's one of the things that you see for him. Game in and game out. Uses his arm over uh, to shoot through the A-gap, get early penetration against the run, able to collapse the pocket. uh, And just does a really good job when he gets that early penetration, pursuing the ball down the sideline, you know, and down the line to to the running back. I think he does an excellent job there. You can hear my dog, Figaro, in the background. Uh, You know, I think she wants to get in and, and say hello um, but uh, got just a few more minutes here. We'll get things wrapped up, and then I'll be able to go ahead and and uh, and say good night to her. Um, but let's see, Baylor. You know they had 31-12 winners against Kansas State. Charlie Brewer. There's another receipt or another quarterback in the 2021 draft class. You know he's only a junior, uh, continuing to develop. Matt Rule has something going there with Baylor undefeated. Uh, you know that's a team to to watch and keep an eye on. Um, definitely something, um, you know, a team that's fun to watch. Um, let's see, who else can we talk about? How about Rodney Smith out of, uh, out of Minnesota? Rodney Smith, 24 carries, 211 yards and a touchdown and a 40-17 to 17 win over the fighting Illini, uh, Illini there in Illinois. Um, patient runner, did a really good job looking for, um, you know, um, waiting for those holes to develop gets gets up the field has really good vision and uh like i said and you know breaking tackles you know showed some good speed uh getting to the next level um speed getting to the outside and uh you know the balance running through contact the lower body strength i think was another thing that really stood out for me with him um, if you watch the Auburn game against Florida, yes, Florida won 24-13. I thought Jonathan Greenard uh, definitely showed some explosiveness off the edge. He's made it into my top 10 of, of uh, edge rushers. Uh, you know, I thought Jack Driscoll was impressive uh, for Auburn, 6'5", 296 pounds. Uh, showed an ability to climb to the next level, um, you know, to the second level in the running game. You know, Knee bender gets underneath the pad level. Uh, Overset on one play, um, defensive end got an inside move on him, but he was able to recover, slide back inside, and pick him up. So, you know, really good lateral quickness there for Jack Driscoll. I was really impressed there. I think he's a guy who's going to be moving up my draft board there at the offensive tackle position. Um, but Derek Brown, I don't think there was anybody that was more impressive overall than, than Derek Brown. This was a guy who was virtually unblockable. Um, they were throwing, you know, double teams at him left and right, just the power to, to drive this man back into the backfield, the the speed to power, getting underneath the pad level, you know, and just putting the guy on skates, walking him back, exploding into the backfield. Um, you know, he had a uh you know, extended his arms into into the right guard and really just kind of bench presses him, getting off that block. Um you know he was a guy had a fifty three yard yard uh, return on a fumble, ultimately tripped over the thirty five yard line. Um, but you know got a really good push up the field and extended his arm, able to knock the quarterback's arm. and uh, I'm sorry, that was uh, the second the the second uh, fumble recovery on that re- that the second fumble recovery, he comes off the edge. I'm sorry, not on the off the edge, but he was collapsing the pocket from within, came around the edge, and ultimately, almost took the ball right out of the quarterback's hand, out of uh, Trask's hand, and you know, kind of chops down, ultimately gets that fumble. But on the other play, it was Mar- uh, Marlon Davidson coming off the edge. Not the most explosive player, but Mar- Marlon Davidson, a guy who is going to continue to work to the quarterback, came around the edge, chopped the quarterback's arm, definitely a fumble. And Derek Brown was a guy who started working inside, had a spin move back to the outside, just happened to have the, fo- the football right in front of him, picks it up takes off and runs with it and showed some impressive speed and wheels for a guy his size uh, Georgia already mentioned what J- uh, Jake fromm did in the 40 the 43-14 win over Texas um, let's see who else impressed me I talked about JK Dobbins uh, just a little bit let's let's spend some time talking about him you know Ohio State they, they started the game you know uh, three nothing there after the end of for, uh, of one but at, by halftime it was a 27. 10 lead 34 to 10 in the uh, was was the final but you know the the burst that was one of the things that you saw you know he was able to to see the hole hit the hole in a hurry get downhill up to full speed in in no time and run away from defenses. had a 67 yard touchdown on one play Uh, jk dobbins just continuing to impress uh 24 carries 172 yards and a touchdown in that game uh, Chase Young, what a beast 64 265 pounds uses his hands to get off the, the tackle block. Um, you know very you know just on a consistent basis. beating guys out of out of their stands really just kind of made Tyler Higby on one play look like a statue there at the left tackle position. Uh, uses a good stutter and an arm over off the line at times. Um, you know beat the left left tackle with with inside moves. Uh, you know, and that was really what he was looking to do was, was rush the quarterback from within. We've already talked about Daryl Stewart, Joe Bocce, uh, you know, running inside out to track down, uh, Justin, uh, Fields for only a two yard gain. You know, Fields has some pretty good speed and Bocce showing some speed getting to the outside, blitzed around on the edge, um, came in under control, lined up the quarterback and able to drop him for a for a sack in the pocket, plugs the holes in the running game, is a sure tackler. Joe Bocci, to me, 6'2" 231 pounds, inside linebacker. He'll probably end up being a fourth round pick, but I think he's proving that he can be a three down backer at the next level. And then how about Raquan Williams out of uh at, for for Michigan State, 6'4" 303 pounds nose tackle. This is a guy who was driving his man into the backfield on a consistent basis. He get that early penetration and then the the quickness the lateral quickness the agility to come down the line and track down the running back chasing guys down from behind you know a guy that big being able to move like that um, you know he was just shoving guys back left and right Jonah Jackson was really having a hard time at times with him because he was pushing him back into the pocket with power you know a lot of times they were having to use you know multiple blockers to hold him at the point and uh, they weren't always doing the best job doing it. Raquan Williams to me is a guy who's moving up draft boards as well at the defensive tackle position. So I got my website updated uh, talking about my, my top 10. We've already talked about the quarterbacks looking at the running back position after Chuba Hubbard. You know, you've got uh, Eno Benjamin, Cam Akers, Zach Moss, um, Cam Akers really starting to move up draft boards a little bit. I think the vision a season ago was really what, what was questionable at times. You know, you wouldn't always see the entire field uh, doing a much better job of that. I've dropped Najee Harris. The burst, really, you don't see that so much. Um, Zach Moss is a guy who just runs through tackles. I just don't know about his his health. That's really the biggest concern, and that's why he's as low as he is. Uh, I've got him at number eight right now. Keyshawn Vaughn out of Vanderbilt is a guy that nobody's talking about. Uh, Wide receivers, you know, it's still you got Judy, Lamb, Ruggs, Higgins, uh, Jalen Rager of TCU. LaVisca Chennault, I've got him at number six. Really the biggest thing is, is can the kid stay healthy? Uh, He's a guy who really works a lot of the underneath routes. You know, a big physical guy. I think he'll end up probably being a day-two pick when it's all said and done. Tylen Wallace of Oklahoma State, a guy who's an excellent route runner, just making plays there. Um, but is he another, you know, James Washington clone? James Washington a lot faster than he was, more, you know, but Wallace was more sudden in and out of his breaks. You know, it'll be interesting to see how his game translates to the next level. I penciled-in Justin Jefferson out of LSU, the 6'3", 192-pound junior at number eight, ahead of Devontae Smith. He's a big playmaker. Uh, you know, Sage Surratt, uh, the 6'3", 220 hundred twenty-pound redshirt sophomore I was talking about out of Wake Forest. Wake Forest has got some guys, and I've got them. You know, I'm, I'm giving them some of that recognition that I think they deserve. Sage Surratt, he's like I said, he's a redshirt sophomore. May not come out in the draft, but a guy who I, I think is 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 really putting teams on notice. Um, he's he's you know really taking the ACC by storm. And it's so difficult to cover because he's got the vertical speed. He's so physical, though, after the catch as well. Um, and I've got Michael Pittman penciled in as another big physical wide out there at USC. Uh, tight end position, you know, Albert Owe Boonham, Bryson Hopkins, Jared Pinkney. You know, those are your top three. You can kind of move them in any order that you want. Uh, you know, Grant Calcaterra reminds you a lot of of Mark Andrews. Kenny uh, he Stale healthy, that's the big question. Colby Parkinson, Jacob Breeland, Hunter Bryant, the trio there out of the Pac-12. Um, then you have uh, you know, Mitchell Wilcox catching the ball there at South Florida. Uh, Hunter Bryant, or I'm sorry, Harrison Bryant, out of Florida Atlantic, big six seven wide out there for Lane Kiffin. Um, you know he's really catching the ball well. Um, offensive tackles: Andrew Thomas. You know this guy is he can be physical in the run game. You know, you talk about the pass protection and, and the feet. You know, you see him extending those long, those arms into, you know, he doesn't have tremendous length, but, you know, he sits down and then extends those arms out and really utilizes the length that he does have. Um, you know, it reminds you a lot of uh, of Isaiah Wynn, and I, I think – If you talk about Thomas, does he have the length to play tackle? He absolutely does. Uh, Tristan Wirfs, we talked about him. Alex uh, Alex Leatherwood, I had him as a guard, um, but the way that he's played for Alabama to this point and just really some of the guys that – um, haven't, you know, Walker Littles and, you know, guys getting hurt. Um, Alex Leather was really moved up the draft board. I've got him at number three for my tackles. Lucas Niang out of TCU, inconsistent footwork, but a big physical guy, 6'7", 328 pounds, very light on his feet. Prince Tega Winogo, 6'7", 305 of Auburn. Um, another guy, very light on his feet. You know, I, I think he's you know needs to work a little bit more with, with his footwork, a little bit raw, uh, especially in the run game which, you know, you look at those athletes. Trey Adams is a known commodity. 6'8", 314 pounds out of Washington. Very physical knee bender in the passing game. Very physical in the run game, but can he stay healthy? Can that knee in the back check out? That's going to be... the. Big question there. Calvin Throckmorton's played multiple positions for Oregon, four out of the five positions this year. Josh Jones out of Houston, the best offensive tackle that nobody's talking about. 6'7", 310 pounds. You watch him in pass protection, very light on his feet. I believe only two pressures the entire season. Uh, he's the one to keep an eye out for as well. Um, at the guard position, You know, I think Trey Smith, Tommy Kramer of North, Notre Dame, Shane Lemieux, Parker Braun, and, and Ben Bredesen. Those are really your top five. Uh, at the offensive guard position. Centers, you know, obviously Tyler Beatus and, and Creed Humphrey both likely going to be first-round picks. I think, you know, Daryl Williams, Jake Hansen, uh, going to be day two guys. Matt Hennessy of, of Temple um, is a guy to keep an eye out for as well. Um, you know, when you look at the defensive side of the football, I mentioned Chase Young and A.J. Epinesa. Uh, Curtis Weaver getting the job done, rushing the passer. Yeter Grosmodos spends a lot of time in opposing backfields, but not you know so you know, known as much as a, as a sack artist really waiting for him to take off Alton Robinson is one of the more athletic pass rushers but he's another guy who hasn't really had a breakout game much like Epenesa uh, Jabari Zuniga has been injured but you know when he was playing well he he did really well there for Florida Kenny Woolikis plays like a hair you know like a guy with his hair on fire Carlos Basham Jr. Boogie Basham out of Wake Forest 65 275 the junior making a name for himself if you haven't gotten to watch him play yet tune in and watch Wake Forest Derek Brown, number one offensive our defensive tackle. Um, you know he has a chance to be a top five pick. He's that dominant. Uh, Marvin Wilson and, and Javon Kinlaw gonna be first rounders. Raquan Williams, Lucky Foto, uh, Raquan Davis. Uh, you're likely gonna be day two picks. Neville Gallimore's moved into my top ten. Outside linebackers. You know you've got Isaiah Simmons. You've got Julian Aquara. Um, I've, I've actually put Alex Highsmith. Um, of Charlotte, if you remember, you know Marcus Davenport. Marcus Davenport was able to do uh, rushing the passer there for UTSA. I think Alex Highsmith is going to be another guy similar, you know, uh, uh, similar to that. Charles Snowden of Vir- uh, Virginia, six-seven linebacker, excellent length. Um, you know, inside backers, Monty Rice. You know, David Woodward. Had an excellent game there against LSU. Had 16 tackles and a sack, um, showing that he can be a three-down linebacker as well. I mentioned you know Joe Bachi uh, and Jordan Brooks there in my top 10 as well. Uh, cornerbacks, obviously Okuda, Fulton, Hall, Paulson, Adebo against Washington and uh, and Jacob Eason. Uh Four pass breakups, really showing you know the aggressiveness. But you know he'd extend down the left sideline, extend his left arm. And just keep his hand there on on the pad on on the, the wide receiver's shoulder pad. He'd look back for the football and then extend his right arm to make a play on the ball, you know, with his his inside leverage. And that left arm never did anything. It never pulled. He just le- you know kept it there. Never pushed the receiver. And and just basically use that to kind of get a gauge, you know, from a distance standpoint, and ultimately able to reach for the for the football. I think, you know, he he's continuing to develop. I was a little hard on him in, in on my last podcast, but he's a guy who's continuing to, to make plays. Trevin Diggs, C.J. Henderson, you've got six corners who could very well end up being uh, first round picks. I think A.J. Terrell, Sean Wade, kind of that next group there with uh, Jeff Gladney, uh, Isang Bassey. Is a guy who you know has makes a lot of plays on the football there for, for Wake Forest as well, needs to be in consideration. Um, Delpit and, and Xavier McKinney at safety. You know, Brandon Jones gonna have a true test there against OU, uh, especially if there are guys that can't you know really get a go there for for at the safety position. Hamson Nazaredeen, if you haven't seen Florida State play, this is a big 6'4, 215-pound safety potential linebacker hybrid. Um, Ashton Davis out of Cal. Um, is a track athlete, you know, covers the field, uh, you know, all over the place. Reggie Floyd is a big physical guy there for for Virginia Tech. Louie Gilman uh, is a leader there for Notre Dame. So those are some of the guys that I have in my top ten. Uh, tune into readyforthedraft.com and, and take a look at at some of my picks there. And then really quick, because Figueroa really really wants my attention, so I, I need to go ahead and make this quick obviously you have the red river rivalry, the number six, Oklahoma Sooners taking on Texas, uh, in the cotton bowl. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Uh, Michigan taking on Illinois. Um, you know, not a whole lot of games that jump out to you there in the morning. Um, you know, Georgia taking on South Carolina. Uh, you know, between the hedges, that'll be interesting. Um, can Javon Kinlaw put some pressure from from the interior there against Jake Fromm? Um, when you take a look at the afternoon games, Bama going to Kyle Field, the 12th man. Um, can Texas A&M pull off the upset there? Not likely, but we'll see. Clemson taking on an improving Florida State team. Um, now that Alex Hornibrook is there at quarterback. Um, speaking of Hornibrook, his for, former team, Wisconsin, number eight in the country. The Badgers taking on uh, Michigan State at home. Uh, ASU. Uh, taking on the the Cougars, that's going to be an interesting matchup as well. Uh, the best running back, nobody's talking about, uh, number twenty five ranked Cincinnati Bearcats, Mike Warren, uh, very physical runner, guy to keep an eye out for as well. If you go into the the evening games, USC traveling to Notre Dame uh, in South Bend, you know that's always a game to to keep an eye on. Number nine ranked uh, Fighting Irish taking on the Trojans. Trojans will have uh, Keaton Slovis back. Um, Penn State traveling to Iowa to Kinnick Stadium, uh, the number 10-ranked Nickney Lions. Can they uh, you know, hold off Iowa? Nate Stanley is going to have to have a big, big game if they want to pull off the upset there. And then you have Florida traveling to Baton Rouge. Joe Burrow and company taking on that Florida defense. Can Jonathan Greenard uh, and, and company put pressure on uh, on Burrow, or is Burrow going to have another field day again? C.J. Henderson is going to have his uh, his hands full there with Justin Jefferson. If Justin Jefferson wants to solidify himself as a top 10 wideout for the draft, he's going to have to have a big game uh, against a shutdown corner like C.J. Henderson. Um, and those are the games to really keep an eye out for this weekend. Those are going to be the games I'm going to be keeping an eye on. And uh, tune in next week, and we'll go ahead and break down all of those games um, so I, I hope everyone's enjoyed this past week's game set of games, and we've got a new slate uh, up ahead this weekend. Hope everyone enjoys their weekend. I know I'm looking forward to it. It's right around the corner. College football back once again. I can't wait for, for this weekend as a Trojan fan, seeing if, uh, if we can take down the Fighting Irish, especially ranked number nine in the country. Uh, we'll see if that that can happen. You know, fight on for all you Trojan fans and uh, Boomer Sooner. That's for for all all my my fellow Sooner fans here in in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, you know, my wife is a is a Sooner as well. So you will know, we'll see what Boomer uh, you know what the Sooners can do there uh, against Texas in the Red River rivalry. So for readyforthedraft.com. This is the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. I hope you've enjoyed the time that we spent together. Stay tuned for next week. We'll go ahead and do it all over again. So until then, take care, everyone, and I am out of here.